Welcome back to Global Supply Chain Week here at FreightWaves. I'm Editor-at-Large John Kingston. We can't talk about oil and energy and supply lines unless we talk about hydrogen, because hydrogen is still seen, for trucking at least, as the fuel of the future. If there is a fuel of the future that's not diesel, it's almost certainly going to be hydrogen. But you can't have hydrogen unless you have a supply chain that delivers it to the market. So with us today to talk about it is uh, Abbas Gandhi, Dr. Abbas Gandhi. He is the Director of Energy and Mobility at S&P Global Commodity Insights. He focuses to a large degree on hydrogen. I'm going to see him in about two weeks at the, the big CIRA Week meeting that S&P Global uh, now owns and are putting on. And there's a, I was there last year, there was a whole hydrogen center, and there's going to be another hydrogen center this year where that's all they talk about. So you can kind of see how important hydrogen is to the energy transition. So, uh, Abbas, welcome uh, welcome to Global Supply Chain Week. Thank you for having me, John. So when we spoke, uh, you talked a little bit about the global su- about the supply chain for hydrogen. Uh, let's For those who don't know, let's say a, a couple of things about hydrogen. Hydrogen is incredibly plentiful, but the problem with it is that it is the a hydrogen molecule is always bonded to another molecule like H2O. So you have to inject energy in some form to get that hydrogen molecule out. And once that hydrogen molecule is on its own, essentially it's a it's a storehouse of energy and, and can be used to power various applications. What is the current state of the hydrogen supply chain? What's the primary method for producing it? And uh, how are the what, what's the cost curve doing? How much is it bending? Yeah, thanks, John, for the question. Uh, I, 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 I really like the way you phrased the um, hydrogen uh, as a uh, fuel of the future. I think um, if I step back for a moment and uh, just trying to give a context here, hydrogen is considered as a key energy trans uh, as a key enabler for energy transition in, in many different countries. And I think uh, because of its perceived role in reducing greenhouse gas emissions, especially in hard to abate sectors such as mobility and um, power power generation and heavy industry, um, it is considered as part of a solution. But uh, in, in, in terms of where hydrogen is produced right now, where it is being consumed, it's mostly oil refining, um, chemicals production, and ammonia synthesis. In my opinion, back to your question, actually, uh, the year 22 is uh, a was a pivotal year in the um, hydrogen discussion, mostly because of the because of two policy. Um, uh, new policies in the U.S. Uh, one was the um, Inf- Infrastructure Investment Act that came into um, um, uh, play in uh, late 21, and then it was the Inflation Reduction Act (IRA) that was passed into the law in August 22. Both have uh, um, interesting supports for hydrogen and the new hydrogen uh, generation coming online. So. Uh, let us. If I think it's a, it's a it's a it's a good way to basically talk about these two policies before going into the uh, other parts of your question regarding um, cost curves and things like that. Okay, so uh, let's talk about the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, as well as the Infrastructure Act. I'm not sure what the formal name of that that bill is, but uh, you've been pretty clear about the fact that you felt both of those you uh, had significant benefits to move along the hydrogen industry. What are they? Yes. Yes. The IIJA, IIJA actually, um, the, the emerging, um, hydrogen hubs within and the support that IIJ will provide in terms of, um, assigning the U.S. Department of Energy to select a few projects, um, um, and to provide loans. 
is a significant step moving forward. This um, hydrogen hub concept is will basically will be um, uh, interesting concept to follow, and the stories which within each hub. I was reading a few uh, a few of those. One major one out of California, a few in Texas, and one I guess in um, in, in Arizona, and a few others. These are interesting stories. These are about hydrogen, new hydrogen generation. These are about new hydrogen infrastructure and also um, demand, demand elements uh, around these um, hubs. In addition to that, actually the real policy push was uh, was the IRA. IRA is going to impact hydrogen in a few different ways. The most importantly is, it is the production tax credits that uh, will bring the cost of hydrogen um, down cost of low or zero carbon emission uh, um, hydrogen down, but obviously based on the carbon, uh, the life cycle emissions of these different pathways. The other element within IRA is the investment tax credit for renewable electricity that actually will be, can be combined with the hydrogen production if um, if it's been used for green hydrogen production. Most importantly, I think in my, in my opinion about the IRA, IRA has uh, stayed away from choosing one particular pathway or a few pathways for hydrogen. What it ha- what it means basically, it has left the the, the left, left it to the market to, to decide which which um, uh, which production pathway should should be should prevail or or a few of those, right? Well, um, the implication of such um, um, flexibility is 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 interesting because it now uh, enables. Um, hydrogen production from natural gas to be considered as a solution in terms of low carbon solution if it pair, if it is paired with uh, carbon capture and storage. That's uh, one I think important element within the within the IRA context that enables many energy companies, the big ones, to invest and to facilitate the discussion towards the hydrogen economy. Um, um, I, I think going back to your earlier question, where hydrogen will be produced, I think it's also, uh, I, that's the reason I'm also bringing this up. Uh, SMR, a steam methane reformer, as the as the main uh, method to use, to use natural gas to generate hydrogen, will be is is actually the primary way to produce hydrogen currently, and it's the cheapest way in, in the U.S. because of the U.S. positions on natural gas. I think based on what we are seeing after uh, um, after the the when the policy came into uh, when policy um, become the law became the law in in 22, we have seen um, a new um, uh, announcements with by by many by different players in in this area, and I think blue hydrogen um, will uh, will um, be part of the solution moving forward. Um, but um, at the same global, we do have a long term outlook on hydrogen as well as um, with other carriers, energy carriers. But on, on the hydrogen itself. I think the under- current understanding is around um, 20% of the um, global demand that will be met by blue hydrogen. In this context, the green hydrogen from renewable sources is more important because uh, our understanding is it's going to be about 50% um, of the global demand that will be met by green hydrogen. I, I think um, um, it's also important right, well, to understand let me, let me the... Let me interrupt here. Green hydrogen is hydrogen that can fairly be said to have been produced using a completely clean fuel. So if it's produced by wind uh, or power generated by wind or solar, uh, or I'm not sure where you where the green hydrogen falls in on the nuclear side or hydropower, that's green hydrogen, correct? The nuclear, no. I think the nuclear, the color is pink, but yes, the, the hydropower, solar and wind, yes, green hydrogen. Okay. All right. You know, let's go back to this question of the hydrogen hub, because as you were speaking, I was thinking about how the fact that, you know, all 50 states 
consume gasoline, but not all 50 states have refineries. So I guess I had, when I thought about the hydrogen future, I had envisioned the need for, you know, many, many, you know, thousands of, of, of locations that would produce hydrogen using steam, using steam methane reforming or some other process. And now that I'm thinking of it, well, maybe you only have a few big ones and then you transport the hydrogen around. I don't know if it's hydrogen is transportable in a pipeline. I believe it is. So is that the way we might be headed where in the same way that we have, you know, maybe a hundred refineries in the country, um, we might only have, I don't know how many, but, you know, a, a limited number of hydrogen facilities. And then you take that output and you distribute it around the country. Is that the whole concept between behind a hydrogen hub? In the early phases, it will be around hydrogen hubs, mostly for, I guess, a few reasons. But I think the most important element or reason for this is a high, is the high cost of transporting hydrogen. Hydrogen by nature is um, low energy density by volume. So you have to either um, compress it uh, into um, into pipeline or even um, tube tra- tra- um, trailers, which are the tube trailers are actually really costly. Um, pipeline, there is not much pipeline, right? There are, in some of these hubs that the discussion that is emerging, existing hubs, existing pipelines for natural gas, for example, can be converted to a hydrogen pipeline. But then, um, uh, I, I think, um, what we are seeing in the early phases is going to be a centralized hydrogen production, even though all other pathways are open. And I, I have seen, um, new, new announcements and investment, investment in these areas with smaller companies as well. But, um, the bigger portion of the production of new hydrogen will be in these hubs, and uh, it can be many different forms. It can be a blue hydrogen from natural gas, or it can be electrolyzed on site um, for for energy for, for major projects or smaller projects. Um, there are interesting examples on this. There is one interesting example uh, in in Rotterdam. Shell is investing to use offshore wind to um, to generate hydrogen for its um, energy and uh, chemicals purposes uh, needs. At the same time, the company is talking about um, meeting demands from um, long haul trucking at some point. So they have their eyes open on the on the demand side. Another good example is in Texas, um, ExxonMobil is investing on uh, on uh, um, reconfiguring the reconfiguring their 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 feedstock to their olefin plants from natural gas to hydrogen and coupling that with the carbon storage carbon capture and storage solution, which is interesting because um, this will reduce their uh, emissions significantly. Uh, how optimistic are you? I mean, you're, you're talking about these projects, but really in the big scheme of things to have hydrogen play a major role in the transition, the investment dollars that are necessary are just massive. I mean, they, they, they dwarf what's been spent so far and some of the projects you're talking about that you're excited about. I mean, what's what's going to be the, the cost to, to do this, to really start producing hydrogen in a commercially a, a tr- I won't say commercially, commercially competitive format. Well, I can answer you in two ways. I'm personally optimistic, even more after the, the IRA and the announcements that I'm seeing all around the, us in terms of the, the new projects. But I think um, from long-haul um, uh, tracking perspective, we do maintain a, 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 a very detailed total cost of ownership model um, per locations, per region, per scenarios. And... Um, before IRA, um, the understanding because of the high cost of energy, um, energy, uh, energy prices mostly around hydrogen and also fuel cost, um, the parity between diesel and hydrogen under our base kind of scenario, base case scenario, we were not seeing that until the end of the forecast 2050. In our green scenario, 2045 um, time frame, we were seeing some some parity between some for some locations. Now with the IRA, even we are going to 
um, pay close attention to it this year because um, um, it's not just that $3 per kilogram tax credits that they, um, we should be considering. There are other elements in that IRA and that the whole business models are changing now from transport and storage. But just focusing on that $3 per kilogram, if we reduce the whole amount from the long-term hydrogen price forecast, uh, we did some scenario, some scenario analysis uh, back in December. I think we are seeing parity happening earlier. Um, late 2030s in our base case scenario now. And this is significant. And then the other way that I would like to answer is um, bringing up uh, Chevron's um, alliances with several of these um, uh, companies, with Toyota, with Cummins, and with um, Caterpillars, basically looking in different um, demand sectors, different um, 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 different demand options for, for the new hydrogen coming online. And I think these efforts, these announcements are actually are making me more optimistic even more. Um, uh, on a daily basis. Right, so let's say tomorrow, we woke up tomorrow and there was an amazing breakthrough overnight and hydrogen is now uh, competitive. What is that going to do to the engines of the future? Is it going to be a fuel cell model? Is it going to be hydrogen somehow being made compatible with an in internal combustion engine? What is the future for mobility and hydrogen? I'm really glad that you're bringing this um, um, hydrogen internal combustion engine, bringing this up because uh, it's an interesting uh, concept. It uses hydrogen, so all the benefits that you may have from a reduced hydrogen cost will be there. But there are two problems with hydrogen I see. The first one is the regulate, from regulator perspective, especially in California. It is likely not to be considered as a ZEV, obviously because it's not a zero emission vehicle. It generates um, um, NOx, and, and uh, because of that, it cannot be, probably be not considered. The other problem with uh, hydrogen IC is a lower efficiency. By design, by nature, um, a fuel cell vehicle is an electric vehicle. It's electric drivetrain. And you will be benefiting from all those good things about electric drivetrain in terms of the efficiency. So hydrogen IC will be lower, will be less efficient. And if you talk about the same range between hydrogen IC and uh, fuel cell, you'll def you probably need a bigger tank. To, to have on board and for long haul um, uh, application, the, the size of the tank matters a lot, right? So, um, and then the, the cost associated with that higher, bigger tank. So I think, at this, but that being said, we are seeing from uh, our clients and in discussion with our clients that uh, OEM, um, so their clients meaning OEMs in this context, they, uh, they are being asked about hydrogen IC. So they're, 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 they're customers are asking. And this is a technology that I think is, uh, is uh, in the midterm might play some role. Right, so, because you don't have to just dump every engine instead for a fuel cell electronic electric engine combo, you can try to work with the existing IC. No, I'm, I'm just saying it's a better, better understood technology because of this whole uh, combustion concept that uh, has been around for many years. All right. So we don't have a lot of time left, but you've talked a lot about federal policy that you think are really going to move things along uh, in the adoption of hydrogen, or at least not necessarily the adoption, but making it more uh, commercially acceptable. Uh, what are some other policy changes or technology changes that, if you, I mean, if you could have one thing happen to really move hydrogen along beyond what was just passed, what would it be? So I'm, I'm, we are following the development out of Europe. I think the, the IRA has changed the momentum a little bit towards the U.S., um, we are, I'm interested in learning what, what would be the Europeans' reaction to this because um, 
it matters where the investment flow goes. And in this case, I think U.S. environment is more friendly towards hydrogen now. And uh, there is going to be hopefully a healthy competition between the two sides. With that in mind, I think um, the commitments that some of these OEMs are making in terms of uh, uh, carbon neutral um, solutions or zero emission vehicles is, is interesting because you have the commitments from the OEMs, not all OEMs, but many, many of them, and you have the desire from customers, the, especially big customers like um, um, Walmart uh, or, or um, Amazon, these big ones. You have these, you are seeing desires from them. You are seeing um, OEMs um, um, commitments. I think what was missing is policy, and uh, IRA is uh, is something is uh, in that direction. I hope with all of these. Um, uh, discussion in politics in terms of uh, a new Congress in place now and the presidential election. I'm not, I, I don't think that the direction will change dramatically, but there are, there might be some hiccups along the way. Well, then maybe you can come back in a year from now and tell us just how much the hydrogen supply chain has, has changed as a result of these, these things you hope for and these things that have already happened in Washington. We want to thank Abbas Gandhi, the Director of Energy and Mobility from S&P Global Commodity Insights for giving us his insights on the hydrogen supply chain. You've been watching yet another installment in the Global Supply Chain Week here at FreightWaves. I've been your host, John Kingston, editor-at-large. Please stick around for more.